strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, this is a great reminder. Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks, both of them Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, taking the stage together for one night only, December 8th. It happens at Chase Field. Tickets go on sale Friday at 10 o'clock. You know those shows are, that show is going to sell out. But you could possibly win a pair. Go to the contest page at KTAR.com. I love Billy Joel. I, I just, the more I hear his music, the more I'm reminded. I love Billy Joel. Um, that, that record he did, um, I call it a record. The album he did, Glass Houses, is just... Such a good a good album, um, and he had so many others. Uh, except Piano Man, I'm sick of Piano Man. I got to tell you, I'm just I'm sick of that song. I, it, it's everywhere. All it's the one song of his they always play, and I thought he's got so many other songs that are so much better. I get it, but it's iconic. It's iconic, sure, it's iconic, but I don't want to hear it. Vanilla Ice Cream is iconic. I don't want it every day. That's fair. Okay. All right. All yeah. right. Thank you. It's the younger generation weighing in about a about Billy Joel. Um, Don't I have a right to because I'm a New Yorker? <laughs> yes, you do. Thank yeah, you. Yes, you do. Um, one of the coolest, and I don't know why I'm going off on this topic, but since you got me down this road, one of the coolest moments was, I'm a big, obviously you know I'm a country music fan, Garth Brooks, when he played Central Park, um, he has a song, one of his songs, and Billy Joel played piano on the song, and they did the song together. And in New York City, Central Park, Cowboy Hats, which was really funny to see, but Billy Joel on piano and Garth Brooks singing was remarkable. That's awesome. It's in the documentary. It's called The Road I'm On by Garth Brooks. It's a two-part documentary. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the real issues of the day. We could do. We should do a music history show just once. They won't let me do it any more than once. Um, the border visit. Secretary Mayorkas, by the way, tomorrow in this time slot, at 11.05 tomorrow, Senator Kirsten Sinema is going to join the show. So we are going to talk to her about this visit with Secretary Mayorkas and how she feels. She's been an advocate for changes at the border. She's been an outspoken critic of the lack of effort from the White House. I want to find out what she thinks about these efforts. So she'll join us tomorrow at 11.05. Um, but Secretary Mayorkas goes to the border, and I'll, I'm going to be very honest. I'm hopeful. I've been hopeful. Uh, finally went down there, a friendly governor and a Democrat, didn't like the previous administration. All that's the politics of America. I get it. I'm not going to scream and yell that he didn't come and visit with Governor Ducey. He came with this governor. They're in the same political party. Fair enough. But are we going to see changes? He talks about a program called Operation Blue Lotus, which is focusing on fentanyl importation. I think that's terrific. But the problem I had, and I, I it, it became a Look how great we are thing. So he talked about the cartels and where that they're the big problem. The drug cartels have grown bigger, more sophisticated, and more treacherous. For more than five years now, they have been trafficking fentanyl, the drug of death. The scourge of fentanyl overdoses and accidental poisoning has been devastating communities across the country for several years. Absolutely the truth. And we have seen it grow into an industry. And the same thing happened um, with we saw with the drugs changing hands and becoming cocaine as opposed to um, marijuana. Easier to, to hide, uh, much more expensive, and Americans had a huge appetite for it. Now, there was a difference between cocaine and fentanyl because fentanyl is deadly, um, and, and there are people that died of cocaine overdoses. I, it wasn't that it wasn't a deadly drug, but it wasn't like this poison. We haven't seen anything like this before. 
The problem I have with what's happening is I want to make sure it's not just lip service. And we have a right to be suspicious. This is the other part of this conversation. It isn't always a knee-jerk reaction. You just don't like President Biden, and so you're going to – no, no, look at the history. The president of the United States appointed the vice president of the United States to oversee fixing the border issue. She has been non-existent. She was pressured and pressured and pressured about going to the border at one time, laughing it off when asking if she was going to go to the border. She laughed in that awkward laugh she always has when she's nervous and said, not today, cracked a joke. She ended up going. She went to El Paso for about an hour, landed in El Paso, shook some hands, kissed some babies, gave a speech, got on a plane and left and never went back. So people that are advocates for border security and seeing what's happening with the fentanyl invasion into this country have a right to be suspicious that this isn't going to be more lip service. And um, he talked about this is one of the areas. This is about um, what they've already done and what they're doing. The United States has been taking the fight to the cartels and smugglers with the most intense disruption campaign ever. DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, has already confiscated more fentanyl than ever before. In the last two years, we have seized more fentanyl than we have in the previous five years combined. The problem with that is because we have so much of it in our country. So this is where the issue lies, and this is what we need to see, the interruption of these syndicates. This is going to take a much bigger effort. And again, go watch the documentary Cocaine Cowboys. Go watch uh, the explosion of the cocaine industry in Miami, Florida, and how ultimately what it did to the police department, what it did to the federal agencies, the immense amount of support it took to put a dent in any of this. We are Americans, and I believe that we are still the greatest nation the world has ever seen. We are. We have people that are entrepreneurial. We have people that are hardworking. We have patriotic Americans, but we are dealing with Americans that are dealing in this poison. They are going to have to be dealt with as well. But it's going to take federal agencies working in partnership with local agencies with a concerted effort of interrupting these syndicates, which are not going to go away easy because they're billionaires because of it. Same thing. I I, I keep harping on this, but go and look. Go and look at any of the documentaries about Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel. Go and look what happened in his country before he was finally killed in in a hail of bullets like most people predicted he would die. They still have parades in his honor in parts of Colombia. But look at the mayhem it caused around the world. And when it finally was such a mess in the U.S., the federal government stepped in. Ronald Reagan started it by bringing people in to stop this from happening. And then George H.W. Bush kept on doing that um, while he was president. So this is where um, I'm not saying no. I'm not automatically just discounting everything. But we have a right to be suspicious. This is called Operation Blue Lotus. And what impact is it going to have? What are we going to see? Are we going to see the interruption of these distributors? Are we going to see a drop in the amount of fentanyl that's available on the streets. And they know this. The, the intel data that they get of the availability of this, they're tracking it. They know it. They know the price of it. 
That's the thing about local law enforcement, working with federal law enforcement, is local cops know who the drug dealers are. They know who some of these gangs are, the gangs that are involved in getting these drugs on the streets, and it's how they're making money as well. It's how they are empowering themselves with weapons as well. So I am not someone that is dismissing this out of hand, but I certainly have a wait and see. We have not seen much action. Now, the changes of policy, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, the policy changes seem to be working at people at the border. By the way, there's a story that has not been commented on by the federal government right now, but apparently the Biden administration is flying people that cross the border illegally on the north border, flying them to the southern border so they can be deported under Title 42. So it seems as if they are changing policy. That's a good step if they are, but let's see if they truly are or if this is about politics. In a moment, we get caught up on the big stories of the day. We do a segment called Did You Hear This? It happens in a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's get caught up. Big, big news day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas visited the Nogales Mariposa port of entry yesterday and discussed Operation Blue Lotus and the impact it's had on the drug smuggling crisis. 18 seizures, 16 federal arrests, and two state arrests, and stopped more than 900 pounds of fentanyl, over 700 pounds of methamphetamine, and over 100 pounds of cocaine from entering the United States. Are you hopeful this program will continue with early success? I am. I'm hopeful that this will be what gets us focused on stopping this poison. We can do anything when we are focused and we make an effort. This is the greatest country in the world. And if the federal government is going to put the assets and the resources necessary to secure the border so this poison isn't crossing into this country, if they are going to punish the cartel members that they catch and the Americans that are working with them, we can put a huge dent in this and we can see less and less of our young people die. That's all anybody really wants. Politics be damned. I think this is a good step, but I'm certainly going to be leery of this until we see better news. The Federal Reserve is meeting today and will decide if they want to raise interest rates again. ABC's Rebecca Jarvis explains how another rate hike could directly impact you. What you're going to see if rates go up again today is that number goes up even more and it costs the average borrower with credit card interest an additional $100 in interest if rates go up 25 basis points today, as some think they will. Is the Fed caught between a rock and a hard place considering rising inflation and the recent bank failures? Yeah, and they are. As a matter of fact, the news just broke moments ago that they have raised it by a quarter of a point. So that is uh, just like you said, Julia, that's what they predicted. That's what's happening. And it is. It's going to start squeezing people and it's going to start squeezing the consumer. We already we did the story today that um, it is a six year high on people being declined for um, car auto loans, which means that's almost 10 percent of people now that are applying for car loans are being denied. That shows you their lack of access to credit. It shows their debt-to-income ratio going up, and people are leery about loaning money for those purchases. So that's another step in that direction, and it's going to cost people. 
You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big news stories. Executive Director of Save Our Schools Arizona, Beth Lewis, joined the show today and said that instead of using resources for the Empower Hotline, there are more pressing issues that need to be rectified. There's not, it is a distraction when there are real issues. I mean, teachers are leaving the classroom. I don't see what Mr. Horn is doing to solve that crisis. You know, Arizona kids need a lot more resources. We need social-emotional learning. That's one of the things that he's asking parents to sort of snitch on. Is the Arizona Department of Education focused on the wrong thing? No, I don't think they're focused on the wrong thing, and I think you'd be focused on multiple things. Again, if you want to go down that road, I would say we kids aren't reading and writing at grade level. They're not performing math skills at grade level. Is it a distraction? Is social-emotional learning taking away from that important classroom time that could be spent on other issues? So as much as I understand the points that she is trying to make, I don't think that they are focused on the wrong things. But again, we disagree on how this should be handled. I don't see that there's any problem with parents having an avenue to talk about schools. And it's just like a customer service hotline, in my opinion. It's a customer service hotline, just like every other company has, as a, as a place where people can go and tell them how they think you could be doing it better. Arizona Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Horn clarified how debit cards are going to be used by parents in the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program. We have not said we would take away their debit cards. We have said that they are grandfathered, but we can't issue new debit cards because the program has expanded from 14,000 to 50,000 people, and we cannot pay within a reasonable time if we have debit cards that are... What is the best solution regarding debit card usage? I just, I will tell you that this is one area where certainly at the I'd have to have a lot more information to change my mind. But I would say that the the main reason why I like the expansion of the vouchers or the ESA program is the ability for lower-income families to have choices that wealthier families already have. Taking away the debit card if they don't have an avenue, if they don't have easy access to pay for things. I think the debit cards are an important part of this. There are security measures that can be put in place. I've been told they are already in place. Um, If you have a health savings account, or a flexible spending account for health care, you know that that debit card can be used at a pharmacy for almost any over-the-counter medication. But if you try to buy a bag of chips or a bottle of water with it, it kicks out that purchase as an ineligible purchase. Those things should be put in place. I think taking away the cards or ending the program for new people coming in the program is a step in the wrong direction. That's how I feel, but I definitely want more information. Great job, Julia. As always, that's Did You Hear This for one more day. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 1120. And don't forget, again tomorrow at 1105, Senator Kirsten Cinema will join us, a conversation about the border. Uh, we just found out the Fed has raised interest rates by a quarter point, uh, which is lower than was expected based on the inflation data. So how will now the markets respond and how will people out there making purchases respond? That's going to be a great question. We'll try to answer it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here.
being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us on the show as we just talked about it. Did you hear this? The Fed isn't raised interest rates a quarter point. It is now goes from 475 to 5% highest since 2007. Policymakers, this is what is encouraging, I think, is going to end up being encouraging to the markets. In the past, we've heard about other rate hikes are forthcoming. This is a done deal. We're going to have to be, as a matter of fact, I think one of the last things that the Fed chairman said was that interest rates may um, settle higher than we anticipated. Markets get nervous about stuff like that. And here's the statement. Policymakers said the banking system remains sound and resilient, but signaled that rate increases are nearing an end and that future hikes will ultimately hinge on forthcoming data reports. So the committee is going to closely monitor income information and assess the implications of monetary policy. They anticipate that some additional policy firming may be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. The uh, Here's what's frustrating, again, from a layman's point of view. We have printed so much money and devalued the dollar so much as far as there's so much of it out there, it costs more dollars to buy things. So ultimately – and I think it's the nature of the beast. It is the middle class that gets squeezed the most. We are, we've seen significant increases in the basic amount of money that's going to be given to Social Security recipients. That's going to be the large increase, as it should be. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm pointing these things out. We are going to see increases in the food assistance program, the SNAP program and other ones, to help families that are in need um, feed their families. By the way, I got a great story about feeding families in a moment. Um, and... Uh, but what happens to the people, wealthy people, you know, um, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily call myself wealthy, but I, I make a nice living and I live alone. I say that a lot, which means I know what it, I know what it's like to have a family. I know what the expenses are, but I spent um, I spent my limit buying gas this morning. I pumped one hundred dollars worth of gas into my vehicle and it didn't fill it up. It's one of those places and I hate these places that stop you at a hundred bucks. And I hate it, but it stopped me in a hundred bucks. But here we are again, a hundred bucks to fill your gas tank. So this, we're seeing these things that are happening to families. And for the middle class, it squeezes them because they are too, they make too much money for subsidies and they don't make enough money where these increases don't hammer them. Now, on top of all of that, with these rate increases, with these interest rate increases, it is going to be more expensive to use your credit cards, which means more money is coming out of your pocket for the same amount of borrowing you had before. This is where it's frustrating because you look at how things are working and who is working and you think um, in America, the Amer- part of the American dream is – Building a life better for your children than you had. I think that's anywhere in the world, but I think we do it better here in the U.S. than anywhere else. It's also when you get to a certain age, and I don't know what that certain age is. I don't know where I crossed over this line, but I certainly think about my nieces and my nephew, my grandkids. Um, I think about them, and I wonder – because I'm not necessarily leaving things as far as the world to my kids because we're all fighting this kind of together. I think it skips a generation. With the kids that are in high school right now, kids that are in middle school right now, what are we doing 
so that when they are the leaders, they're not wrestling with the same horrible stuff we have to wrestle with. Are we making it easier for them? Are we solving problems for them? Generationally, if it's a family business, and I know some people that have family businesses, it's a two-way street. Um, I, I've mentioned that I'm friends with Clint Hickman from Hickman's Family Farms, and I've never had this conversation with him, but I would love to. What is it like to be in a multi-generational family business? Because there's a sense of responsibility from the founders of this business to pass it on that's a very a strong business to their children and grandchildren and watch them carry on the family legacy. But there's also got to be a sense of responsibility from the children and the grandchildren to make sure we do the right thing with what we have been entrusted with. We don't seem to have that when it comes to the government that we operate as citizens. At least it doesn't feel that way to me. You know, we are struggling as a generation. We are struggling with what to do with the dreamers. This is not an economic statement, but it's we are. We're struggling with what to do with the dreamers. They still don't have their issues solved. And as a country, we're struggling with how to resolve that problem. And it still hasn't been legally resolved. And yet here we are with millions of people pouring across our border. And we are now creating that next generation that your children's children will have to face. Those are the kinds of things that I think about legacy I start to think about. Financially, it is about your personal finances. Are you able to do something where you can leave something behind to the people you love to make their lives easier? To me, that's a legacy. If I can do that, if there's a way that I can do that, amen, then I I will then feel like I've accomplished something. Um, But what about our financial situation as a government? We have a mess on our hands with debt that we've created and high inflation once again. We're seeing history repeat itself. Are we as a nation dead set on reversing that so that the next generation isn't stuck doing it? And they aren't starting off in debt. So if you have a family business, let's whittle it down to, I have to, in my mind, simplest terms. If you have a family business and you pass it on to your children when you decide it's time for you to move on, retire, enjoy life, and they take it over, are you turning over a family business that's riddled with debt, high interest, and issues that they've got to solve before they can really watch that machine hum once again? Or are you turning over a family business that is running very well? well, that they can focus on how to make it better and take it to the next generation. And that's a real worry for business owners. You know, you put your family's name on the sign. Well, we're all doing that as a nation. And what are we doing now as voters? What are we doing in electing the right people? And then even better, what are we doing to kick out those people that are wasting our money? What are we doing to kick those people out that are not doing it the right way? And I just think we've become a lazy electorate. If I have to be honest, the electorate has become lazy. It's become a popularity contest, and, and it's um, it's not doing anyone any good. That's just my opinion. Um, we're going to carry on a little bit of the conversation. I want to talk about some of the big issues and things we've talked about, education and otherwise. And I've got a great story that was just told to me about someone that's been in the news recently. I'm going to tell you the story about this person next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Appreciate you spending some time here. Once again, I want to recommend you go back and listen to the interviews we did today. Um, one of them was with Beth Lewis. She's from Save Our Schools, Arizona. And on the other side of that same coin, talking about schools, Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tom Horn. Um, I think it was an interesting conversation I had with both people. I agree more with Mr. Horn on the issue. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Before I jump into this and let you hear a little bit of what they had to say, and I think it's important you do, I want to tell you a great story. So lately, um, the uh, the owner of um, the sub shop that uh, Gatos went out and visited was out there today. They had the owner on the show. Uh, Gatos is out looking at the homeless problem that we're seeing and around the city of Phoenix. And so he wanted to see it for himself. He went out there. He's going to talk about it later in the show. But Gatos and Chad had the owner of this sub shop on their show. And as a show of support, this is what's interesting because of the world, this world. Um, one of the guys, Jerry, from over at St. Mary's Food Bank, decided he was going to go into the store and buy a sandwich, get some food, and support this guy. So he did, and this guy recognized the shirt from St. Mary's Food Bank and made a donation. So this guy's fighting for his life in this store and trying to keep his financial head above water in this in his sub shop. And he's donating money to St. Mary's Food Bank. I mean, that's the community we live in. That That's how people like this. It's one of the reasons why I fell in love with Arizona. That is such an Arizona story. And uh, it was great, you know, for St. Mary's Food Bank to say, listen, we understand right now it's tough to run a business, so you're going to go in and support him, and he turns around and hands you a check. Pretty interesting. I just love this community for it. So I guess the, the message for me on this is that idea of intentional giving I talk about. Uh, they are still stressed at levels um, like like their peak, it's not just during the holiday season anymore. They are still seeing more and more families every single day getting emergency food boxes at St. Mary's Food Bank. So pick one of those organizations that do such great work <clears throat> with St. Mary's or otherwise. And do some intentional giving. If you are able, uh, no amount of money is too small, but whatever you can give goes a long, long way. So I hope you will. Um, let's get back to the schools. Beth Lewis, uh, Tom Horn, and opposite sides of the issue. And um, we talked about the ESA program. And Beth Lewis says some ESA parents are angry at the uh, Department of Education. He's not approving any of their expenditures. He's making it absolutely impossible to use that program. They're waiting four hours for their help desk and not getting any of the help they need while he's propping up a teacher's niche line and misusing those taxpayer resources. So at this point, no kids are getting what they need, whether it's a voucher kid, a charter kid, a district kid. Mr. Horn doesn't seem to care. He's touring the country talking about how great the voucher program is, which, you know, it's not rolling out well. And we've got a mess on our hands, and he doesn't seem to acknowledge that. So I would say in rebuttal, this is my personal rebuttal to hear Tom Horn in a moment. I do think that the ESA program is rolling out well. There has been a huge, it is very popular. It has gone up from, I think, 14,000 recipients to over 50,000 now. And there are going to be growing pains. And I do think that they need to make sure, they need to make sure that they roll this out as best possible. They want to get things paid off. They want families to have access to the money. But I do think that the popularity 
majority of this shows you that people want choices. So how are they fixing it? Here's what Tom Horn said. By making a list of those things that are allowable and those things that are not allowable, and we are not approving non-educational expenses. So they're not a rubber stamp. The accusation from Tom Horn is saying that they weren't being effect talking about the previous administration and Kathy Hoffman not enforcing the ESA program correctly. They didn't enforce the law with respect to the program. So they were allowing non-educational expenses. Uh, 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 Beth Lewis mentioned a grand piano. That was allowed by Kathy Hoffman's administration. They, they had allowed people to get away with using those debit cards in restaurants and clothing stores. So um, is this the way and the accusation from in this uh, I'm paraphrasing, but what Tom Horn, the superintendent said is that the previous administration didn't like the ESA program. So they would let these purchases go through and then somehow information got to organizations that didn't like ESA and say, look, they're buying baby grand pianos with this money. And so uh, believing that it was being sabotaged by the previous administration and that they are going to fix those issues. One of the issues is debit cards. We understand that people that are uh, get food assistance. We do everything with debit cards now, which I don't think is a bad idea. Um, I think, and again, I, I want to have a lot more conversations with people about this. I would say if I were the one advising, I'm certainly not. There, No one's listening to me as far as uh, real advice on fixing the issue. I think getting rid of the debit cards or stopping the program for new people in the program, which is more a more accurate way of saying it, is a bad idea. I think that the program needs to be fixed so that all families have access. If, the, if a debit card is the way they want to access it, if it's the easiest way for them, there are ways to block ineligible purchases where you try to purchase something with a debit card, it gets kicked back and you say, wait a minute, this is a purchase that is perfectly legitimate and there would be a process for you to go back and appeal and say, wait a minute, this is necessary. Can I have this? Um, then there's got to be a way to do that. It's With everything else you can and it should be something that they get done with this now this way at least. So um, I hope we're on our pathway. So please go back and listen to the interviews. Beth Lewis uh, first and then Tom Horn on the topic of education, the expansion of ESA and the hotlines, um, and see what you think. Where do you fall on this issue? Just about out of time, which means this is where I sell you my social media. At Broomhead, KTAR is where you can find me on Twitter. That is my personal handle. That's where you can correspond with me directly, at Broomhead Show. Update you on the things we're doing here on the show, such as guests. By the way, tomorrow at 11.05, Senator Kirsten Cinema joins me on the show. And if you want to go to Mike Broomhead on Instagram, all one word, that's me there. We'll be back tomorrow morning starting just after 8 o'clock. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Be careful on those roadways. We will talk again tomorrow. God bless.